Welcome to Nairobi Chapel Embakasi. We grow deep to reach wide. We are going to go through the book of 2 Peter. Now it's a bit difficult to go through a whole book in, uh, in a few minutes. But we shall try. It's just three chapters. I wanted us to dwell on uh, chapter 3, but I have had uh, the topic that Ernest had shared on. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's a similar topic, but if I would share from 2 Peter 3, there's a lot we'd be missing out on in chapter 1 and chapter 2 that are important. And so uh, I also, and I confess this to my wife, I went through so many passages trying to prepare. I just kept coming back to 2 Peter. And so if it is a reminder of what we listen to, then it is what the Lord has a day for us to hear. Okay, so usually I'm not uh, accustomed to reading long passages, especially <laughs> before we start, but unfortunately it is a bit uh, unavoidable. So we, we can go through the book of Second Peter, as I give a brief overview, and then we can dive into, into what we need to dive into. Okay, so we are there, Second Peter 1. I will quickly breathe through, but we will dive into them in detail. So I'm reading from the ESV. Simeon, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these things, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that, my so that after my departure you will be able to, at any time, recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne by him in the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves had this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1. <laughs> Chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day by day after day, he was tormented, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw in heart. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the last of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as they wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to rebel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast within. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls, they have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by, by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those living in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord, Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness after knowing, after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to his own vomit, and the soul, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Chapter 2. We're almost there. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. 
they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately look, overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by, and, and that by means of this, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one. Oh, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away in that, with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, that peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them on these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with this error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. I, I'm, okay, I'm not sure whether you've been through a long passage reading like that in a sermon, but uh, context is everything. So, uh, usually, first of all, happy birthday. Yes. Three solid years, the Lord has been faithful. I'm happy to see Fred and what he's doing. And this is my second time here. So, Asha's Atujaonana Sikukatak's mama. I was following instructions. First time here. So, my daughter should have been the first one, but uh, yeah. It is what it is. So usually whenever we, either at work or even at home, whenever you, you're looking back at what you've been able to do and what you've to do, usually, like for example in my marriage, whenever we're having an anniversary, we are three plus, Sisilakanisa, eh? anyway. So, uh, we are three and a half years old in our marriage, and we thank God for that. Uh, to the single, we say marriage is good, the marriage, don't want to be Rihanna, but sanctification, sanctification. And so uh, we, we thank God because we are godly, we are godlier, we are still working on it. Uh, I do not want to speak as someone who has figured it out. Yeah. And many times we speak of this and it look like we figured it out, you know the answers. We are human beings, sinners who are learning to love God and love each other. 
And so we thank God for solid three years. And as much as I say to my life, not but our marriage has been blessed, and we thank God for that. We enjoy each other's company, we are friends, and I thank God for that. So, anyway, before I keep on marketing, so back to what I was discussing. So, on every, uh, or rather, on every anniversary occasion that we have, we usually go back and see, so why did we get married? Are we doing what we are supposed to be doing? Have we lost the thought at some point? How do we reboot? How do we get back to what we're supposed to do? And usually it ends with resolutions. For us, I think resolutions are not uh, on first January. They are on every day. It's like, this is us, this is what we need to do. And so we, we encourage one another to do the right thing. We call each other out where we are going from. We, we want to be better people. We want to be godlier people. And so it is my responsibility to make sure that I am helping my wife be more godly and vice versa. And so that's an important thing. And even in a corporate service, whenever we are having an end of year something, and because we usually have it early in the year, and we are trying to reorganize what we're doing that year, we always ask ourselves the same question. So what have we been doing the last four months? Are we doing the right thing? What do we need to change? What have we forgotten? What are the important things that we need to, to remember and to get back to doing? And so even as we're celebrating three years, NC in Bakasi, you want to understand who is the church? What are we? Who are we? What are the marks that distinguish us as a church? Have we lost the plot? What do we need to get back to? And let us continue in, in that path, along that path. So that, that was really my reflection. And so there are several answers to that question as, as to who the church is or what the church should look like. And so when I went through Second Peter, it answers many questions, but again, eyes on the prize, I want us to remember why the church exists and what we're looking forward to. Because we lose that thought, we lose everything. We simply become a social club that meets every Sunday, yeah. and we do week after week, and life moves on. Okay? Yeah. So, Second Peter 1 to 3. There are five points. I don't know how much more time I have. I will try to keep it at five minutes per point. <laughs> but uh, there are five points. So the first is, what does the church look like? Okay? Second point is the problem that Peter presents in this book. And we'll dive into them individually. The third point is the challenge. There's a challenge posed to Peter and the apostles and the church. And then the fourth point is the Lord's stand. Okay? What does the Lord say in light of the problem and the challenge? Because that's, that's what we want to understand. Uh, I don't know who I'm quoting. There's someone who posted something very interesting online. He said, thank God your healings are not God's standard. Like, way. <laughs> so, so, in light of what we've just read, it's important to understand what does God think and say about the problem that we present and the challenge that we present, rather than what we think. And the last point should be our response, in light of what God has said. Okay? So I'll breeze through. What does the church look like? So, we've gone through the book, so if I turn back to some verses, they're not for him, I hope. So when you go to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 11, I won't read it again, but I will just pick points. Second <laughs> Peter 1, 3 to 11. 
So it talks about the fabric of the church. And when you, I would really encourage you, and I'm happy that you guys are going through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, cover to cover. I think it's beyond exemplary. We have tried several. It is still in our donations. <laughs> and we are still trying. So I am greatly encouraged by this step that you guys are making. And so when you have a chance, just go back to the book of Second Peter. It's just three chapters. There are books that scare you, like Leviticus, <laughs> sometimes even Psalms. Second Peter is just three chapters. I don't think any chapter, any chapter within the three goes beyond 30 verses. I don't even think it gets to 30 verses. But they are just action-packed. So, fabric of the church. When you go through first, uh, or second Peter chapter one, there are these points. Have, the church has all things pertaining to life and godliness. Chapter 1, verse 3. Okay? So we see that the church has all things, or has been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. I will keep asking this question, and I want you to just internalize this question, even through the week. You believe in God, but do you believe God? When you say something that looks either ridiculous or sounds impractical, Will you believe God? And so when God says you have all things pertaining to life and godliness, there are three points around us all. Just think about it. When he says all things, what does he mean? He means all things. So anything you would need for life and godliness is to be found in who? In God. It is not to be found in your work or your routines or your discipline, it is to be found in God. And so it asks you many, it makes you ask many hard questions. Like we have exemplary people wherever we are, in school, at work, at home, our relatives. You have guys who don't know God, or they don't bother with anything pertaining to God, but they look like they have it all together. Some of them end up being our mentors and everything, but are you aware that that person does not have all things pertaining to life? I'm not saying whatever you need. They're no longer your mentors, but you're getting my point. Do we believe God when He says He has given us all things? And then now pertaining to life and godliness. This is this is where the hard questions come. We are all in our different corners, going through our different challenges in our different spaces. Either you are trying to be a spouse, either you're trying to be a job, either you're trying to get a you're trying to feed some studies. Your life has its own challenges. Some people even just want food for today. And so, has he given you all things pertaining to your life with your challenges? Do you believe God when he says that? Is the answer in your mind, I don't have food for today. I am struggling to go through this class. I don't think I'll pass. Is the answer in that situation that God has given me all things We believe in God, but we believe God. And then the second part has given us all things pertaining to godliness. Imagine <laughs> move. Because it is easy for us to say we are Christians here. Okay? It's easy for you guys to see me and say this guy believes in God. 
find me at the farm. <laughs> or on site and ask anyone who wants to ask. If you get the same response, that's a good thing. <laughs> but if you don't, you realize that there's a gap somewhere. And do we all have people who, when you go and ask about your life, they're very shocked that you're doing that. They'll be like, Hata check a job zeto. Job zeto by a that's 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 very common, okay. So we cannot draw a line where we, we think we want guys to know that we love the Lord, but we will not live lives that show our conduct is godly. Now I'm not here for those. Like I said, I am the first who needs to listen to this, okay. But it's for you to ask yourself: based on everything that God has given you pertaining to life and godliness, have you received it? Do you believe that in your struggles? Beat, corruption, impurity, or whatever else, a lack of diligence. Do you believe in that space that God has given you all pertaining to godliness? Or are we like, you know what? It is what it is. So, so, so that's the first point. I am doing badly time wise. Second point the church has the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. The church has the knowledge of Him. Who called us to his glory and excellence. I wonder whether one, one, one fear usually have among my many fears, among my many fears uh, like reptiles. Uh, <laughs> hearing the words, I never knew you, is one of the scariest words in the world. I was told not to be holding my ears. Do you know God? When we hear God, as the church, we have to be a people who say we know God. One one point that usually saddens me about Christians, or rather our current context as Christians in this country, is if you walk to a Muslim or a, a Hindu or whoever else, even atheists, ask them about the God of Christians. Which are the references they, they, they use? Do they use Pastor Oyola? They will use Bahati. They will use Wikipol. They will use Nana. And if you sat down and you had a discussion as Christians, would you say that such people really know God? The way they mishandle God's word. The way they misuse God's people. The way they've given themselves to a life of would you say they know God? Now you see right here what we've been told is the church has the knowledge of him who has called them. Who has called them. And has called them to his glory and excellence. Those two words, glory, if I am called something glorious, it means that I can put other things aside. This is glorious. And if I'm told he, he has called me to his excellence, it means that there is nothing I would in light of what he has to offer. He is offering you excellence. He has called you to his excellence, not even your own. And you see, if we get sidetracked, we, we get distracted by the world and what the world calls excellence. If it's papers, if it's money, if it's fame, if it's reputation. And we walk away from what God has said 
we walk away from the excellence he has called us to. I am not saying that when you go to work, you will not be famous or you will not have money. But you're getting my point. Yes. Number three. The church are recipients of precious and very great promises. Now we'll get back to this because God in this book, or rather Peter in this book, severally repeats about how sure and certain God's word is. And so when God says he has given us precious and very great promises in verse 4 of chapter 1, yes, you believe in God, but do you believe God? When he's given you his promises, do you believe wholeheartedly? I have a very young daughter who there's a corner in the house where I put M&M's. My wife has walked away and I can share this. So, <laughs> in that corner, it's usually my redemption. So, uh, whenever I am getting home, I have to spend time with my daughter, going to the farm, gamut and all. I go and take an M&M, give her. So in the morning, <laughs> my wife is back. So in the morning, <laughs> when our daughter wakes up, she walks to her mom and she's like, Mom, hi, hi. She goes shouting, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Then she finds me, hugs me, gives me a kiss. She's so happy, she's screaming, and that's every morning. And so I am I, I regret nothing. But <laughs> but if I tell her anything or if I or, or if I lead her in a particular direction, she is going to trust me. And I am a wicked sinner. Oh no. How much more your heavenly father when he gives you a promise? Number four. The church in chapter four, oh, chapter one, verse four, point number four. The church are partakers of the divine nature. Now, does, that, does this mean that we are going to be God? No. What he is trying to say is that we get to partake in things that God has ordained us to partake in, and we get to be like him. Are you familiar with the, with the question of the heart phrase that do you love what God loves and do you hate what God We quickly begin to say yes, because we are Christians. Yes, we hate sin, we hate corruption. We should go to Karao to That is the point of the test. That is the point of the test. You get to Nyayahans and you look at that queue. You will be put to the test. Whether you love what God loves or you hate what God loves. Those are flimsy examples. Let me give you a good example. You can be in your workplace. And like in my field, you know, you just have to dance to the few. Now, it's one thing for me to skip line. It's another for me to look at this money and look at several years of investment and say, Sini Moja. Or it might just be a boss who's telling you, they like how you look, they like how you dress. And they just think, that you can make a very good manager. Simply because of how you dress. You know how that story goes. <laughs> and you're looking at your salary tripling. You're looking at moving out of the neighborhood. You're living that you don't like. You're actually looking at no longer using my heart. You're like, yes, this is the life that I want. Now that will be put to the test. And so when the church are partakers of the divine nature, they ought to look like God. Their hearts to reflect what God loves and what God hates. Point number five. Difficult one. <laughs> but goes back to number four. 
The church are escapees from the corruption of the world due to sin. Can you honestly stand and say, I am not corrupted by the world? You know how difficult that is? It's very difficult. Yet how many people did God speak about in the Old Testament saying that they were unstained, they were unblemished, they were righteous? Enoch didn't even die. When I get to heaven, I just want to ask Enoch. <laughs> but when you look at these five points that I've just mentioned, that is who the church is. Remember when I said eyes on the prize? If you're to stand out there and someone is to look at you, you have to have these five points for someone to say this really is a Christian. Even if you don't get their own their own uh, what's the word? Even if they don't refer it to you as one, you in your heart of hearts you know that these are my marks as a member of the church. These are my marks as a Christian. Three years down. Is this who we look like? Yes. Three years from now, is this who we still want to look like? The answer has to be a resounding yes. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's inevitable. We have to, we have to do what God has called us to do. I'm doing badly time-wise. The problem. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. So, a brief overview of what we just read in 2 Peter. So, first Peter talks to Asia Minor, the churches that he was writing to. And he says the things he said about the church. He's going through them. Okay? And then he presents a problem where there are some false teachers who are here. Okay? So, they came with their own way of life and their own teaching, which is the church in another now I'm sure you see why I'm trying to share this as an anniversary message. Okay? So there are things to in the church. And so Peter calls this problem out. Okay? And describes these people who are swaying the church. And then these people present a challenge. Both to Peter and to the church. A challenge that makes you think, okay, yeah, I'm good. And that father them to say. And then now Peter goes back to what God's stand on the whole matter is. And God's stand ought to now direct us back to where they ought to be. Okay? That's just okay. That's something when you have time, you just go to the book. It's a very nice book. And very short. At least here to my father. So, the problem. Chapter 2, verse 1. Like I mentioned, false teachers appear. Okay? And so that ideally means that their teaching was corrupted and their way of life will be corrupted as a result. Number two, they deny the master. Okay? Number three, these people who are suing the church and have denied the master, please note, these are teachers. These are not people in the church who are just. Uh, just normal people who are just sharing at a point and people just kind of listen to them. These are influential people. Okay? These people are sensual, they are adulterers, they are blasphemers, and they are greedy. Okay? This is the kind of life which you you just hear one of them about a leader in the church. It would it would it would cause issues. Just one. But these guys had a we say plethora or plethora. <laughs> they had Issues upon issues 
and they were the leaders. So if that is the cream of the crop, what do you expect from the church? This was the way of life. People would go with people who love their spouses and they would live together and that's, that's fine. People would be greedy. And life would move on. Okay? So this is the problem. This is the problem that existed in the churches in Asia Minor. And these people, the fourth point, are a caste. Okay? These people don't go down on their own. They think others with that. Let's compare the two. I had a chance to look at them. Okay? So the church was supposed to have the knowledge of him who called them. Okay? They have the right knowledge. They thrive in truth. But the wicked, what do they do? They have false teachers. They thrive, they thrive in falsehood. So on one hand, you're supposed to have the truth as the church. On the other hand, these guys are just dissipating lives any chance they get. Second point is the Christians, the church, they know their master. These are things we talked about. I'm just breezing through. So, they know their master. But the wicked deny their master. The church live upright and godly lives. But what happened to the wicked? They lived sensual lives. They were adulterers, they were blasphemers, and they were greedy. The church had very precious and great promises. We went through that in chapter 1. What did we read in chapter 2, verse 4? The wicked are cursed. I just want to stop there and ask, if you know God, even this right and God accords a curse to you, what would you feel? What hope would you have? Who is higher than God to help you? Of God's curse. For God to say you are cursed and fell. It's a very sorry state. Now, lastly, the church endeavored to grow and enter the kingdom of God. And we will go through those qualities in chapter 1. But the others, instead of growing, they sink others, they kill other people's spiritual lives. Now, when you look at this, this chart of how they compare. Do you see shreds of you swaying slowly over the years? I know I I know I have. I look at the church knowing their master and the other one denying and I'm quickly going to say I've never denied the Lord. But I look at my life and the decisions I make. And there are places you raise questions. If you really did not deny the master, you would not decide this. You would not do this. You would not do this in the family. You would not do this at work. And so I am at the front line as chief of sinners telling you this is what it is. It's an anniversary. We have the chance to look back and look at our Christian lives and say, are we really a church? Are we really living lives that God has called us to? We're done with half of our sum. <laughs> Number three. This is an interesting challenge. Chapter two, uh, chapter three, verse four. Chapter three, verse four. Now these false teachers are saying, 
Second Peter 3 verse 4, they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Why is, why is that a challenge? Number one, because it's false. They are presenting a scenario which will not change, and we know things will change. Number two, the reason why this is particularly why it's, why it's particularly damning is because they're presenting a scenario where you should not desire to change. Remember, we said the church tries to grow and to know People are trying to present a, a scenario where it does not matter. And when something does not matter, you don't give yourself to it. Is there a voice? I almost went political, then I. <laughs> I am doing badly time wise. So, <laughs> but these guys create a scenario where there is a routine of life. And they are telling you to be at peace with the routine of life. Okay? Wake up in the morning, get to work, go to school, or whatever you need to do. Get through the day, lunch in the Kibandaski. Move on, okay, maybe I'm done. So, get used to the routine of life so that you have no need to change anything in your life. Now, if you're a believer, you know that change is not only inevitable, it is required of you. When someone leads you in a way of life that requires you not to change, then you automatically know that that is not of God. We are Christians, we ought to look at ourselves and thank God for the, for the growth that we have as far. And pray for more growth because we are not where we want to be. Until Jesus comes back, that is our way of life. So these guys create a scenario where nothing will change. Do you believe them or do you believe God? So that's the, chal- that's, that's the challenge presented. Okay, so now we are on number four. We are moving pretty well, I think. <laughs> Chapter three, verse five to ten. We won't read it, I'm just going to go through the points. So what does the Lord say about this? We've learned about what the church is, correct? We've learned about who the wicked guys are and how to look out for them. And then we have learned about the problem that was created. Well, they were the problem. We've also gotten to review the challenge that was presented. Now we're going to see what God has to say in response to the problem and the challenges. Okay? So what's the Lord's stand? Number one, if you look at chapter 2, verse 4 to 7, and chapter 3, verse 5 to 7, when you have time, you'll go through it. But chapter 2, verse 4 to 7 talks about stories we know of in the Old Testament. Okay? It's, it talks about uh, people who are judged for their sin. Now, if you remember from just take a step back, if you remember from chapter one, Peter said his body was about to be put off. He was about to die. He knew he was about to die. Okay? And he gives over five examples saying the same thing. This is a dying man's speech. This is critically important for us to understand. If at your deathbed there's something that you keep saying over and 
over again. You really want this people to get it. Get it in your skirt. This is what I am trying to tell you. You don't lose this point. Okay? I talk about how, from verse 4, chapter 2, that the angels were not spared. In Noah's day, the wicked were not spared. Sodom and Gomorrah, the wicked were not spared. Do you think he made his point loud and clear? He continues in chapter 3, verse 5 to 7. And says, because of God's word, the heavens existed. Because of God's word, the, the world was diluted with water and perished. And because of God's word, judgment is pending and destruction of the ungodly. Is this someone you want to doubt when he says something? Don't we have countless examples that he will do what he says he will do? If Christ says, I'm coming back, why would you treat your life as though nothing will change? We believe in God, but we believe in God. Okay? So, the first thing is, his, uh, okay, the first thing on the Lord's stand is, his word and judgment is certain. Second point, the Lord is patient. And this I particularly love about God himself, because God being perfect, being sinless, understands us in our situation, and decides to be patient. Sometimes, and I usually tell my wife this, I thank God I am not God. But uh, it is what it is. So if you look at chapter 3, verse 8 to 10, huh? verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There usually some psalms. Theologians use big terms, simple things, but there, there are some psalms called imprecatory psalms. What does that mean? These are psalms where the psalmist is praying for ill on his enemies, particularly David. And there's one that says, May you crush the skulls of their children against rocks, and things like that. If I kill him, that is, that is the response a human being can have yeah. when they look at the wicked, when they look at their enemies. And we are seeing that. You think, this is not here, no. Instead, this is not here, they have done enough. Their time is up. The Lord himself is patient to such people. Do you know how borderline scandalous that is? Let me give you an example. I'm about to get a bit direct. So usually we have some debates about about let's say the capital punishment. Are we supposed to restore uh, killing offenders, and which offenses are going to run under death penalty? And some of us are parents in this room. If anything happens to my daughter, and I keep telling my wife like, "Where can capital kill a man?" Because if anything happened to her, when you met her, you have to go to the station and you have to go to the station. No evidence. 
That's the only couple more. Now, it sounds very wrong for me. I'm just being honest. But that's, that's, that's what I would feel. Okay? And I'm just trying to gloss over the risks of such things. Yes. We know how bad these things are. We see stories, funny stories about things that have happened. My, my wife had a period where she worked in the government. And they were working with the senders. And before she got that job, we would enjoy the evening dinner where we talk about our day and work. She got that job. Those suppers were long. Ah, to them shika, we have mama, and you have to talk, but come you was out, and you'd hear that. Finally, examples are day. To that gravity. She can test my daughter, please. But you hear such things. You honestly feel such people deserve a second chance. Humanly speaking, you think, ah, you cannot do that to a defenseless baby. You can't. What is the Lord saying? I am not slow to executing judgment. I am being patient with you. Those are the kind of people who are being told, I am being patient with you. And before God's eyes, me and Moni me, like to Kidogo, me katavine, to be at the same with someone who is doing life because of such a mistake. And that is the Lord's standard. If the Lord says that, who are we to come and say, ah, God is being unreasonable. That's the Lord's son. Last but not least, the Lord sins. If you get chapter 2, verse 9, then I, I, I really have to leave these verses. I should have used my slides with background of food, but it's fine. <laughs> so, chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to give the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So you have both camps there. If you're living a godly life, God knows how to rescue you. You believe in God. But you believe in God. It says he rescue from those trials. He will. We cannot stand somewhere and say God will lie to us. That can never happen. So the Lord says the God In chapter 3, verse 15, we see and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Talking about just before judgment is executed. And so, whichever side of the divide you're on, the Lord says, if you've been living a godly life and you just pray, Lord Jesus, come in the Shindwa, He will save you from those trials because He said, He will. But if you're not on that side of the camp, Count his patience as salvation. He saves. Again, I thank God that I am not God. Only God can have a heart like this. Last but not least, our response. I have two minutes. So, what should we do? Well, I want us to go through these points quickly and then we can read the passage together. Okay? So, what do we do? Number one, we should live holy and godly lives. I'm not saying this because they are good points. I'm saying we've got the verses. We, we have seen. We just ought to live godly and upright lives. Just, no, no, number two, we need to patiently wait. If you look at chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, huh? 
We are waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Because the heavens will be set on fire, dissolved. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. There's an interesting verse there, our choice of words. It says that we are waiting and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. How do you quicken that? It doesn't mean that God has not put a date. There is a date that he knows. Okay. But God also in other passages has said he will not come until his work here is completed. Yeah. So the more we do God's will, the more that work is being completed. And we are hastening the day of the Lord. If you're living an average and only life, this should be easy to hear. It should be like, hey, let's keep at it because we are tired. <laughs> if you offer this life the best of what this life has to offer and just staying at the gates of heaven you would choose the gates of heaven there's a border of attention there because my wife keeps saying in heaven hakuna nyama because there is no death but anyway so we are patiently waiting does your life as a believer, is it characterized by patiently waiting on the Lord? Because if it's not, guess what it is? It is in the routine of life where nothing ever changes. Does that sound familiar? Do you remember who was propagating that kind of a lifestyle? Do you see how easy it is to drift, to, uh, to find yourself there? If you're not patiently waiting, you've just been caught up in it. That's a dangerous place to Number three, which is the last point, we need to remain stable and keep growing. Verse 17 and 18, one of the last few verses, one of the, one of the last verses in the chapter. It says, knowing beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Three years down, it's been waiting three years now. Have you lost your stability? Have you been corrupted by what the world has to offer? Peter is saying, do not lose your stability. Keep growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you know what that looks like? Verse 18. It's exactly what you're doing. You're reading the Bible cover to cover. You're increasing in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's a good thing to do. That is something to thank God for. You are right where you need to be as a church if you're doing that consistently. And you're doing that diligently and faithfully. But when you lose your stability, you get caught up in that routine of life. You get caught up in the routine of life, you stop waiting. And you see that as a big problem. So, last but not least, I want us to go through a passage. I want us to read 2 Peter 1, verse 5 to 11. So, <laughs> I want to get back to my initial point. Who is the church? Have we lost the clock? What ought we? Or rather, what should we be doing? Okay? We've talked about a lot of things. This was generally my point in chapter 1. <laughs> Because this is the kind of life that characterizes a church or a believer. Okay? There are difficult things, there are a lot of things, but you can dive into them bit by bit. 
If I had a chance, I would go through them. But we can just read that for now. Second Peter 1, verse 5 to 11. Right there? It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the word of the Lord. This is who the church is. So you see, they're supposed to be doing, right? They're supposed to be living godly, but they're supposed to keep growing. And we've seen the risks as to, if we don't do this, we've gone through the book. We are familiar with who to look out for. The kind of lifestyle to avoid. We know what marks we ought to get rid of in our own life. But it's not a, I'll stop being corrupt. I'll stop lying. I'll stop doing ABCD. It's, it's this passage. Just strive for this. The answer for you to stop doing what you think is wrong is to just do what First Peter 1 urges you to do. Focus on these qualities. There are some very big promises put in these, in these qualities by the way. Because God is saying, if you practice these qualities, number one, you will always bear fruit. Always. We keep singing as Christians, oh, I want to bear fruit, I want to bear more fruit. Practice these qualities. That's simple. A second thing, he promises something that I'm like, God, I want to take you up on that offer. He says, you will never fall. You know how difficult that is? That also tells you how difficult it is to get all these qualities. Quasistent, uh, but it is something that we do by grace and we grow every day. Okay? And number three, it says that if you practice these qualities, highly, it is that assured. A good question to ask yourself after reading this passage is, yes, you believe in God, but do you believe in God? Do you believe that after practicing these qualities, do you believe that after doing all this, that you will find your way to life? Join us every Sunday from 11 a.m. at Trubani House off Airport North Road. Have a blessed week.